I'm just so thankful that God's love is just waiting on us, you know? It's like sometimes you just walk in here and you get reminded. And uh, has anybody ever looked into the eyes of Jesus? Okay, in the spiritual realm at least? Okay. You know, when you look into the eyes of, of the Savior, what you find is pure love. It's just liquid love, isn't it? You know, I've been made aware from people who have actually passed over and come back, lived to tell about it, so to speak, that it's a light. It's that first John, God is light, love. It's that thing that's piercing, yet it's a beautiful piercing. And I want to look this morning at a guy in the Old Testament who I believe actually looked into the deep pools of Jesus' eyes and discovered who he was. You know, because... The thing here that I'm going after, and this is kind of a part two to a message I did, I don't know, several months ago, long enough, long ago enough that you probably don't remember it, <laughs> but it's called The Real You, okay? This is kind of a part two to that, because I believe that this church, including myself, is full of people that God is destined for greatness. You have been destined for greatness in God's kingdom. And I believe that he wants to reawaken something in your heart this morning. You could call it a fresh touch, a fresh flow, a fresh breeze, or whatever us charismatic maniacs like to call it. But what it really is, is Jesus looking into your eyes and showing you who you are. And the Holy Spirit affirming that with his fire that flows richly into our hearts. Does that sound good to you? So if you'll turn in your i-Bibles, app-Bibles, or physical Bibles, to Judges 6, or read it on the screen. <laughs> Judges 6, I want to look at a man named Gideon this morning. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to uh, make one other observation. I was, I was thinking this week and kind of talking to Dad, Papa God, and uh, the thought I had was, isn't it interesting that no matter how much or what you accomplish in life, there's always challenges and obstacles that stand in the way of your dreams. Has anybody ever noticed that? I mean, does, does, you know, when, you, when you're a little kid on up going through school, they say, just go for your dreams. You know, what are you dreaming of? You can fulfill your dreams, right? Has anybody actually done that? Like, anybody living their dream? Okay, two people are. I am too. So I, I really do. I mean, I feel like I'm living my dreams. I mean... How could I not be? I'm married to Sarah, and I've got six amazing kids, a wonderful family, an amazing place to live. You know, just plus I get to be here, you know, at River Life. I mean, that, that's kind of dreamy, right? It's dreams come true sometimes. And, uh, but my biggest dream in terms of ministry was being a missionary in public schools, you know, and I got to do that, and then I moved on to MCA, and now another school next year. So I have that primary dream of teaching in terms of my job or my career, and it's crazy, like, they pay you for it, you know? <laughs> I get to p get paid for what I love to do. And, not, and I didn't, in my foggiest dream growing up, think of being a pastor, but on top of that, the Lord's allowed me to be a pastor at River Life. I mean, how much better could it get, right? I know. <laughs> Jim Hill used to joke around all the time, I can't believe they pay me to do this. You know, I get to travel all over the world and, and uh, make money at the same time. You know? so, but sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but does your dream ever have little tidbits of nightmare in it? <laughs> you know, like you're, you're living the dream, yet you go, wait a second, this doesn't feel like the dream. 
And uh, sorry if you're not a sports fan and this analogy loses you, but it's kind of like LeBron James, okay? He's kind of like the next generation Michael Jordan for those of you. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. If you don't know who LeBron James is, that's who it is. He's like the top dog in the NBA now. Well, I was thinking about LeBron. I mean, he, the dreamiest of dreams, because here's a rundown on his story. Grew up, obviously, this man-child, you know, this extremely athletic man in a boy's body. Came up through high school basketball, living with mom, and the next thing you know, literally overnight, he goes from high school to multi-millionaire contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA, right? And then to make the dream even better, he gets to play for his home state franchise. Grew up in Ohio, right? And then the dream just keeps going. It's like Cinderella. I mean, it's fairy ish you know. And he gets to the NBA Finals with his home state team, but loses. Well, there's a little bit of challenge in the dream, right? Has a little bit more struggles and finally... And not finally, but the next step is he finds a better team, which, you know, some people have a hard time with, including myself. But whatever the case is and whatever your feelings about LeBron's decision, he goes to the great Miami Heat and makes it the first season to the NBA Finals. A championship is in sight, but loses. All the critics are having a heyday. The Twittersphere is blowing up with anti-LeBronisms including my own Twitter sphere or whatever you call that. But not to be undone and very persistent to LeBron's credit, the second year with the Miami Heat, which was this season, they finally win the NBA championship, even though I was going for the Thunder. (laughs) They finally win. So what happens? He achieves his dreams, right? It's got to be the greatest dream of a basketball player. Growing up in the street, you've worked so hard. He achieves the dream. And what's the question that's asked in the post-game conference, press conference? What's next? Even the dream is not enough because, after all, he's no Jordan. He's no Kobe. He's no Magic. Why? Because they all won multiple NBA championships. So one's not enough. What is it? Six. You need to win at least six to be considered the greatest of the great. Now, I'm not putting that on LeBron like that is something that he's struggling with. It's just an observation that even in the middle of our greatest dreams coming true, they sometimes don't work, things don't work out. They become little nightmares along the way. And things just, in this, and I think in this uh, natural world that we live in, it's just part of the fallen nature of things. And in the Old Testament, we find a similar story going on with the Israelites, don't we? I mean, they've got extreme challenges to start off with. They have this dreamy family situation set up with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then his 12 sons, including Joseph, with the age of the patriarchs. But then, and, and Joseph saves their life by the hand of God. They all go to Egypt and escape famine. But then a pharaoh came that for, didn't remember Joseph, and the next thing you know, they're in a living nightmare. The Israelites are slaves, right? Literally just terrible situation for 400 years until 
the next dream, or God reminds them of the dream in their hearts, and a deliverer comes, Moses, they get out of Egypt by the miraculous hand of God, and the sojourn in the wilderness begins, right? For 40 years, they're wandering around out there trying to figure out, you know, me and Sarah's have this joke we have because we're both real strong-willed, and I don't know if you knew that or not, but we think that we know the right way to get from point A to point B. And so... We were uh, heading back from the beach one time, and she said I made a wrong turn somewhere. And we ended off uh, up a little bit off of what the uh, MapQuest said on the phone, you know. So we're literally MapQuesting beside each other. On, she's on her phone, I'm on my phone, and we start arguing about which map directions on the GPS are the most correct. So ever since that time, it became so comical. Every time we have a disagreement about just the way of doing something, it could be the way you vacuum the floor or something. We go, what, are you going to map quest it? You know, so anyway, I can just envision the Israelites. They're out there map questing. Mo, I think it took a lot. No, I'm pretty sure the, the bitter spring tomorrow we were supposed to go left. You went right, you know. And it turned out that Moses got so caught up in that, you know, he uh, struck the rock when God told him to speak to it. Because of that, he wasn't actually going to be the guy to achieve the dream with the whole family of, the, of Israel. But instead, his successor, um, Joshua, was raised up, right? And he took him into the dream, the promised land. I mean, the promised land has been used as an analogy for centuries by Christians to speak of what? Heaven? I know African Americans in slavery would speak of the promised land of be, about being freedom, you know, from slavery. It's been used as that analogy for the dream, what I call the dream. But the interesting thing about it is, even though it was a land flowing with milk and honey, and obviously a dream, was it all great? It wasn't, was it? I mean, as soon as they crossed the Jordan, they had to fight, didn't they? For years and years. And sometimes they got their tails kicked in the promised land. They're getting their tails whooped, you know? And honestly, if you've felt like that recently, be of courage. So did the Israelites and Joshua and the guys that came after him. They felt like, I thought this was the goal. I thought this is what we were supposed maybe like the Israelites today even, Dean. Like, we've got our nation now since, what was it, 52? 48, sorry. Since 48. <laughs> you call yourself a history teacher. <laughs> I know what he's thinking right now. <laughs> you know, we've had, but where is Jehovah? You know, where, what, what's going on? Why are we surrounded like this and on the verge of, of, of really bad things happening, rockets and such, and... So this is the same plight. Now, but let me remind you, one of the reasons God gave us the Old Testament and the all of Scripture is as an analogy, as a foreshadowing of not only the gospel, but also of our lives, of the way that our lives will go in this natural world and how to access the spiritual world as they did in order to overcome the natural world. That's a big key. We keep talking about it, right? Because it's so important. Because right here in this room, there's some of you who have, to be quite honest with you, and this is not a condemnation, but really an encouragement. It doesn't sound like it when I say it. 
But what's happened is you've lost touch with the real you. There's a you inside of you that's the spirit you, that I believe is an eternal you, that has always been and will always be, that God created in His heart, and on your birthday it became flesh, and you became a physical you. But that's not even the real you. The real you is eternal, created in the image of the Father. You look just like Him, you're a chip off the old block. But a lot of times life happens. Giants are in the land, or storms, and good and bad, actually. You know, I've realized that life, things that will cover up the real you are not just bad things. They can be like losing sleep with a new baby, or getting a job that pays a lot of money, or, you know, really good stuff, right? It can cover up the real you. And this morning, the heart of the Father is saying, I want to look into your soul, I want to look into your spirit, man, and call forth that person. Because in these days where we have a choice, is the glass half full or half empty, right? The, worst, the best of times and the worst of times. Which way are you going to see the glass? The real you always sees it half full. If you're like me, the natural you always sees it half empty. Let me just be honest with you. The fake Matthew Bollinger is depressed. Wakes up in the morning with some, quite a bit of fear and dread. The real Matthew Bollinger can be quite angry and irritable as, you know, unfortunately my family has to see the fake Matthew Bollinger sometimes. But, uh, I mean, let's just be honest, right? The fake Matthew Bollinger is um, moody, you know? But then I get just a moment where I can close my eyes or however it happens, and I look into the eyes of pure love, and I remember who the real Matthew is. Oh, Wait, that wasn't me at all. Did you know that even if you fall into the grossest of sins, the Father's here reminding you that's not the really that's not really you. It's not to let you off the hook. It's just to say that's not who you really are. Who you really are is a lovesick lover of the King of Kings. If you're born again. If you haven't been born again this morning, the real you is hidden down in there and the Spirit of God is waiting to let that real person erupt inside of you. It's a free gift and if you'll just say yes to it this morning, man, just watch out. <laughs> it's going to blow your socks off. You're going to be really glad you did. Because how many people know from experience of what I'm talking about, the real you is the way to go every time. Now how many people are walking in the real you all the time? <laughs> me neither Paul describes it as the flesh and the spirit right walk according to the spirit and you won't fulfill the flesh okay so let's look at Gideon's life and let's see how he did trust me you can take comfort in Gideon's story and you can take uh, you can take comfort in his failures sorry and you can take comfort in his successes obviously the successes is what we're going for nobody wants to fail so let's see what the Holy Spirit will say to you through this. How am I doing on time? Okay, a few more minutes. Judges 6, 11, and 20 through... Well, I'm going to try to get through. We'll see how I do here. All right. Now, the angel of the Lord came 
and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah. He wasn't sitting with Miss Winfrey. But um, maybe he is. I mean, I kind of like that for myself. But anyway, okay, that's another thing. Um, Now, this is interesting, you Bible scholars. And I checked this with the pastor so he can't get mad at me if I'm teaching this differently. But um, a good number of theologians believe that this was an incarnation of the Lord, that this was Jesus, not an angel. Because there's several reasons. We'll come across a couple, possibly, as, if, uh, all depending on how far I get. But there's um, a part in this passage where the conversation with Gideon is definitely a conversation between the big man upstairs and Gideon, not a messenger, okay, the way that the dialogue is recorded. Um, and there, there's some other things here. So if you'll allow me just to take this liberty... I'm going to read it as now Jesus came and sat under the tree. Isn't that beautiful? You remember that story, that song people sing around Christmas time for some reason that um, talks about Jesus appearing in all the books of the Bible? How many people know what I'm talking about? That is that like, yeah, Denise, is that like a Michael W. Smith song or something? Anyway, maybe that was Friends or Friends Forever. I can't remember, but, you know. <laughs> one, of those, one of those songs... <laughs> Um, anyway, isn't it, it just blows my mind. I mean, John did say in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's obviously speaking of Jesus, the man Jesus, the third part of the Trinity. He was in the beginning. So that, could that be that Jesus is eternal? And He manifested in a physical body for 33 years... And on his birth date, physically in this natural realm, but his spirit and even a manifestation of some sort, I don't know what that would be exactly, but a manifestation of him appeared to people like Gideon. Isn't that a cool thought? Whatever the case is, if I'm going to be honest, could be wrong, but now Jesus came and sat under the tree, with, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Okay, let me explain here. So, again, the dream had turned into a nightmare. The Midianites had come in and ransacked where the Israelites were for, the Bible says, seven years. Literally, they went from living on the lake to hiding in a cave in Mount Ola or, you know, some out in the boondocks. They went and they, they, just, they were driven out of town. And the Bible says that they were, they were in, living in dens and caves and some other stuff. And uh, so this is where they're at. They're absolutely terrified. They're in one of those places of being so distraught over their seven-year glitch, if you will, that they had forgotten even some of the ways of their ancestors. They had forgotten the Lord, you know, as they often did. They had turned to things like Baal and so on and so forth. So this is kind of where, catching you up to speed with where we're at in the story. Verse 12 And Jesus appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Who are you talking to? Who? I'm hiding in the stack of wine press trying to make a hamburger, and you're saying, you mighty man of valor? What are you talking about? I'm not standing here with a sword in my hand like, Bring it on, Midianites! 
but you're calling me a mighty man of valor? You know, I asked you if you looked into Jesus' eyes. When you look into the pools of pure love, you see your real you. You see who you really are. Not what you're doing or what you're pretending to be. And that's exactly what Jesus saw when he looked at Gideon. He could look into his spirit, man, and he could pull that thing out. And with his words, he could say, rise up, you mighty man of valor. Even though Gideon couldn't see it himself. Now look what happens next. Verse 13. Yeah, Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord's with us, why then has all this happened to us? Everybody say, if the Lord. Why then? Anybody asked that question before? <laughs> Thank you, Brianna, honest person. If, well, if God, then why? Fill in the blanks. So take comfort. Gideon, too. He asked that same question. Don't feel too bad, you know? Why didn't you, Lord? And look at what the other question he asked. This one's interesting. And where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? Come on. I mean, if that's really real, you know, like the pillar of fire and the cloud by day and the manna in the wilderness and the water that came out of some rock, and if that's really real then why am I in a wine press trying to make wheat, trying to make bread? What's up with that? How come there ain't no manna falling from the sky now, God? I mean, can't you just imagine him, like those are the thoughts or maybe even the verbal questions that are coming out of his mouth. Does God just send fire and destroy Gideon? Does he just blast him for it? Does he send a prophet and rebuke his hide like he should? You doubter, how dare you vile, you know, adulterous generation question the hand of the Almighty God. No, he doesn't. Verse 14, then Jesus turned to him and said, Go, Gideon, in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Huh? All God's people said, huh? <laughs> what valor, Lord, are you talking about? He just basically stopped short of cursing God. And Jesus looks into his eyes and tells him, go in this valor that you have. Can't you just, if you were in Gideon's shoes, can't you just be going, okay, wait, Lord, time out. Exactly what valor are we talking about here? That's not what pure love sees. He sees the real you. Jesus saw past Gideon's words and knew the real Gideon. And he does the same thing with you and I. He can see past your fear, past your insecurity, past what the future holds or what the past brought, and your unbelief even, and call you back to the greatness that he created you for. I challenge you, who is the real you? Think back. If, you, if it's been so long ago that you can't even remember, I recommend that you think back to being a little boy or a little girl. You know, some, some of you guys, 
love to dance, or you love to sing, or you love to create, or you love to daydream about some great thing you're going to do, or some great person that you're going to be, or a group of people you're going to be with, or, you know, whatever it is. It could be a million things because God is endless, so our dreams are endless. Those are the dreams that He put in your heart. I believe that with all my heart. And He's never called you to leave those things. He's never called you to stop thinking about them. Are they fulfilled yet? A lot of them are not. Does that mean He's called you to set them aside? I mean, a little kid, they believe anything, don't they? I mean, I could say, Anna Grace, the grass is purple. Really, Daddy? I love purple grass, Daddy. Come on, you want to go play in the purple grass, Daddy? I mean, little children, they believe in tooth fairies and, you know, all that. Not that they shouldn't. (laughs) Wow. Try to get in some hot water here. (laughs) Let me just move on in the message. The wonder of it all gets jaded, right? It gets covered over by growing up, by being mature, by being adult-like, by whatever we esteem in our Western culture as being grown up is. I'm not downing maturity, you know what I'm saying, in a certain sense. But we lose something. And that's what I love I loved about Michelle Perry, period. You know, and again, if you read her book, you'll see that probably more than anybody else I've met, she has maintained that heart like a child to just believe the impossibilities of God. And she has real issues. I mean, she didn't tell us about all of her issues. I found out what, she has some really serious issues that she doesn't have answers for. You know, don't be deceived that she's somebody that she's not, you know. But yet, that, I believe that's what even Jesus looked into Gideon and he saw that young boy. You know, I've had quite a few young boys, and uh, four to be exact. And they just like to break stuff. You know, they, I, I don't know what it is, man. They just like, like we have way too many toy guns, period. I mean, every, we have a Nerf gun arsenal in one of the boys' closets. We've got like three bow and arrows, four BB pellet guns, a couple shotguns. We put keep, you know, keep up. Don't worry, moms. We got those, you know, got those covered. You know, I mean, it's just all about warfare. And much to my wife's chagrin, at least one or two of those boys are really thinking they're called to be a cage fighter. You know, (laughs) like in the future, like that's the dream of my heart, mom, is to ride a Harley have a dually jacked up with pipes coming out of it and be a cage fighter. Now, you guess which boy that is. I'm not saying. (laughs) Noah's going, it's not me. There's something about that spirit, though. God can do a lot with a Joshua and Caleb attitude, you know? I mean, gosh. I mean, look at a guy like Todd Bentley. He wins big and he fails big. You know, it's just like no in-between, you know. But, hey, what about King David? You know, I mean, gosh, but getting back to the point, though, that dream that God has put in your heart, in verse 15, 
So he said to him, this is Gideon says to the Lord, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Everybody say how. Everybody, anybody ever asked the how question? You ever notice that's not a big question for God? He's not so worried about the how question. Moses asked it. Gideon asked it. I believe Peter asked it. The disciples said, how are we going to feed all these daggone people, Lord? You know, I think even Paul, even though it may not be recorded, I think he asked the how question. It would probably stand to reason every human being on the face of the planet has at some point asked God the how question. And it's interesting, not very often, I, I couldn't say definitively, does he answer the question with a rebuke, but instead he answers a different question. He answers the what question, and the what is himself. Isn't that awesome? We were, we were watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition last night. Anybody like that show? You know, with the way too loud and hyper tie with a megaphone, like he needs one. You know, and they just build this sweet house, and they set it down right on top of all their problems. Sweet house, still got the problems. I still love the show because, honestly, it's the best that the world can do. But our God, man, he gives a stream makeover wholeness edition. You know, like a shalom edition. And that is, you got the problems, what does he give you? Not a house, not a car, not a boat or a flat screen, but he gives you himself. He plots himself right down in your mess. And he goes, you know what? 2,000 years ago, I paid a price. It may not completely get you out of every mess, but it provides a way through it. It gives you hope, and it gives you a future. Amen? Like Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, it is the plans God has for each one of us. Isn't that true? So then here's what he does. He, asks, he does what a lot of us do, and he asks God for a sign. Now, some people might feel like it's wrong to ask God for a sign. I don't, again, there's not a condemnation in this case with Gideon where he's asking for a sign. And even Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels, he said that all of his miracles were for signs that he was the one that was prophesied of to come, the Messiah. So I don't think asking for a sign, I mean, let's be real. How many people, when you're trying to get the heart of God on something, want confirmation? You know, it's, uh, that's basically a sign, right? I do. I mean, I, I think that's not a bad thing because you're just, it's a good heart. I guess it's a matter of the heart. So anyway, in this situation, to hurry along, the Lord tells Gideon to set off this offering. I'm not going to go into the details of it. And then, whoosh, fire comes and consumes it. Now, how many people will be convinced? Okay, that's probably God. Unless your mind's going to say, well, it could be hellfire, which could mean it's the devil. But in this case, it's definitely God. Gideon is convinced. And let me conclude with um, verse 22 through 24. He's asking for a sign, and this is awesome. Because you know the covenant names of God? What are there, seven covenant names of God? Is that right? Like Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha. Well, one of them, you'll see it in a second. Is, it comes from this passage. Now, Gideon perceived that he was Jesus, I believe. Isn't that awesome? So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. You know, because back in Old Testament days, buddy, it was known. 
You can't see God face to face and live. So Lydia, Lydia, Gideon's a little bit scared here. Then the Lord said to him, Shalom be with you. Everybody say Shalom. English word peace really means much more than that. Do not fear, you shall not die. Just take that, let that soak into your soul this morning. The Lord's saying to you, Shalom be with you. Don't be afraid. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Of course, you've heard this 101 times. I'll tell you again. The Lord is peace. The Lord is wholeness. The Lord is well-being. The Lord is security. The Lord is prosperity. And I love this one. The Lord is friendship. Before being friends with God was really cool, before Jesus, Gideon discovered that Jesus, the Lord God, Jehovah, is a friend. And contained within that friendship with God is all the others. It's that package deal of healing and sozo that we've heard so much about. The Lord is shalom. And he called it the Lord is peace to this day. It still remains in that place. Why don't you guys stand with me? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to pray just to kind of prep your heart, put your heart on alert, <laughs> and uh, then we'll do that. Um, there's something real God's put in you for this time that we live in. As we all have heard a billion times by now and watching the evening news and hearing even the prophets prophesy. This is an interesting time, to say the least, that we live in. But 100-year-old Arthur Burt believes strongly, and this was a little bit, put the fear of the Lord in you in a good way. He, he, I don't know if you caught this. Do you realize he said we're the last generation? <laughs> oh, God. I feel like Gideon right now. Uh, you, did you have the wrong guy, Lord? Like, have you looked at me recently? I'm not sure if I line up with what in my mind I picture the last generation being. That's okay. It's not about what we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel, what we can touch, what we can taste with our natural senses. It's about awakening the real you inside of you, the spirit you, to hear and see in His world. In other words, what that has to mean is... You've got what it takes. Do you guys believe that? We as a church have what it takes to fulfill our calling, our destiny on our lives. As the real me, when I can get into that place, I, say, I turn to my wife and I say, you know what? There's more. There's more than even where we're at, as great as it is, there's more. Even what we've had, there's more. Even the ministry, the, you know, the kids, everything, there's more. God has greatness for us. God has a destiny, has a plan, He has a purpose. There's more people to reach. There's more people that by God have to be healed. There's more people. There's more, there's more, there's more. And I'm just prophesying that over you, River Life, is there is more. We haven't seen anything yet. 2006 to whenever it was great, but that was just a foretaste. That was just to like get us ready. We, you're right where you're supposed to be. He's got that through to you, but if you find yourself today in the wine press, 
just trying to make a cheeseburger. You know, just trying to make a loaf of bread. I want you to let the, the, the eyes of the pools of love pierce you right now. Just, why don't you just close your eyes. Just pierce you right now and say, you're beautiful. You're wonderful. I mean, after all, you're the bride that I'm coming for. I've created you to, to be great. I've created you for a destiny beyond your wildest dreams. If you'll just let me in. If you'll let me come. And if you'll rise up, step out of the place where you are, and take back the land like Gideon did. Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit. Holy Spirit of God, I just thank you for what you've done here this morning in our hearts. I ask you right now to penetrate the hardness, penetrate the jadedness, penetrate the, the false maturity, and I break its hold in Jesus' name. I break off every yoke not of God. I break off every uh, uh, chain, the sin that easily entangles. Just break its power right now. In fact, you can do that over your own life right now, even just between you and God. You know, because it's the goodness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. We all require change, right? Not a one of us here doesn't require some kind of adjustment. And the Bible refers to that sometimes as repentance. You know? So just take a second and just let that thing just do business between you and God. So thank you, Father, that you're rising up. And I call forth the spark inside of each Christian in this room. To become a raging, blazing forest fire of the love of God. Let it consume everything that's not of you in their lives and take over. Just become that light, that city on a hill. Let it take over. Let it take over our, our, our families, our workplaces, our community, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. So, if you need, if if something is, you know, your spirit man is just crying out for more in your heart, you want to come up here and get uh, prayer, hands on. Hands laid on you. We'll be glad to do that. So uh, feel free to do that. I encourage you to. Um, and you can uh, feel free to be dismissed. I want to encourage you. Let's pray for America this week on our Independence Day. At this critical juncture. Um, like Dean said, there is the inevitable. But at the same time, we will always be a people as far as individuals in a church that blesses Israel. That pr play, ugh, prays for blessing over the United States of America, and just ask that God bless America. Amen? So, be blessed.